This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. another episode of 100 words or less the podcast i'm your host ray harkins i'm just getting off a phone call does anybody find phone calls to be i don't know i like i get annoyed when people call me and is that a bad thing um and not like you know like oh that person is annoying but just like oh okay i gotta stop what i'm doing and answer the phone and you know because i think we live in this day and age where it's just like emails and text messages and just like these bursts of communication rather than like, okay, I've got to sit down and talk to this person. And it's funny because obviously I can talk and phone conversations aren't awkward for me, but there are just times where it's like, yeah, you know, I just don't feel like talking on the phone. And more often than not now, I digress. The guest this week, Jason Tate from AbsolutePunk.net. He is the CEO, creator, founder, all these other titles that you can put on him. We will get to know him pretty well by the end of the hour. I will talk to you in a minute more about him. Let's talk about Property of Zach. They are our media partners and we love them. So if you want to be aware of everything that's happening within independent music, go there. Reviews, news, music, all this stuff that you can find all at one website. So go there. You make it part of your daily ritual. That's what I do. So enjoy. And then also, if you're feeling ever so generous to the show, go to the iTunes store, drop some stars, drop some words about the show. If you enjoy it, what other guests you'd like to see on here. Uh, any feedback is appreciated, and I really do love to read that stuff because it's just, it's amazing. I've been getting a lot of reviews from Australia recently, which is great. The word is spreading down there, and that is awesome. So I appreciate all of you evangelizing this show because that's the only way that, you know, we'll continue to grow, and this thing will become bigger and bigger, and hopefully we'll be coming more like a community. I don't know. That's what I want. You heard a little intro at the beginning of the show, the How We Are Podcast Network. Basically, if you like this show, there are some other shows that I think you should check out. I have decided to collect them all under one roof with the hopes that eventually we would all kind of, you know, bounce each other's audiences off one another, and hopefully you'll be able to find more great stuff and more fun stuff to participate in, because this medium of podcasting is such a cool thing, especially for music. Go visit the other shows. Go visit the site howweare.org, and then you can check out Nothing to Write Home About, which is Matt Pryor from the Get Up Kids podcast. You can check out Stuff You Will Hate, which features Sergeant D, who is a previous guest on the show, like way, way, way back, like, I don't know, episode six or seven. And then uh, you can also check out Let's Talk About Feelings, two employees from Side One Dummy talk about awesome stuff. Usually they've got a guest or two and they kind of talk about pop culture and, you know, feelings and other fun stuff. So I think all of those offer their own take on music and industry and all that type of stuff. So check it out. We slash I appreciate this for whatever time you invest in looking into that. I appreciate it. A little bit of uh, randomness that I wanted to express to the world and see if anybody else uh, has this sort of feeling or has encountered this. So I was listening to a interview with a band called The Somerset, who are on Fearless Records. And uh, musically, uh, there's nothing that I, I personally identify with, but uh, I've worked with them on uh, a number of projects for my day job. Great dudes, 
good band for what they do. They were doing an interview on, uh, I want to say it was like the uh, Alternative Press podcast. But anyways, they referenced the MySpace age. And it was just so funny for anybody who's obviously lived through the MySpace age, where it was like early 2000s, where bands were, you know, hiring people to add friends on their accounts. And it mattered how many plays you had in a day. And just like all these things that just took me back to this very specific time frame of people investing so much money into these things. You know, it's like people were paying interns, you know, whatever, 80 bucks a day to add friends and to get the play count up. And that was like what got you signed. Like, I remember the first band that kind of, I mean, not the first band, but like one of the major success stories, like a band like Job for a Cowboy, who signed to Metal Blade Records eventually, grew past that whole, you know, just a MySpace hype band. But they, you know, it's like they were getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of plays. And it's like record labels had to kind of like equate that to be like, okay, if they're getting this many plays, like, could they sell this many records? And I don't know, it was just so funny to kind of see how the metrics shift within the context of what they're given. So it's like now we look at Twitter followers and other social networks like Instagram and Facebook, where it's like, okay, if they have a large platform and they have a lot of people paying attention to what they're doing, then that's what we need to pay attention to. And that is the way that records could potentially sell. Um, it's just really interesting to see how that kind of shifts over time. So that was the MySpace age. And there will be a Facebook age. There will be an Instagram age. And there will be social networks 10 to 20 years down the line that will just you know continue to redefine the way that bands and artists are considered successful. And it's hilarious because it's always going to change <laughs> at this point in the game. So... If you remember other social networks that I am, I have obviously not mentioned, then let's talk about that. Let's reminisce that maybe there's other bands that I completely missed that just, you know, didn't become successful. They were just a hype band on MySpace and that never translated to anything meaningful from the sort of career band standpoint. Jason Tate. So I tried to interview him a long time ago and then we just didn't end up connecting, but then we connected now because, uh, Absolute Punk, they started a podcast and they do some pretty cool interviews with, uh, bands and they definitely focus on the more, Hey, how's your new record stuff? Which, you know, I allude to and I make fun of, but you know, there's a need for that. There's a reason that that stuff exists out there. Um, I obviously try to bring more, you know, deeper philosophical things, not saying one is better than the other, but anyways, you should check out their podcast because it's very good. But Jason, uh, yeah, he's just, he's an interesting guy because, um, you know, he came from a similar scene to a, where a lot of us have come from, but he's been able to take it and build another community based around this online. Um, and his site is, you know, one of the best on the web as far as independent mu- music is concerned. People share so much information on there, not just on the news posts, but on the forums. And Jason regularly contributes to his own forums. And I don't know, it's just a very interesting ecosystem that's been built and something that I've watched for years and years and years. So, anyways, Jason revealed a lot of stuff and it was cool to hear about, you know, how he got a start and basically how his life has been up until this point. So, here's our conversation. I'll talk to you after. Introduction to you know what you kind of have done and your output and your your creativeness as it were. <laughs> so for I don't know about eight years or so, I worked at that label, Century Media Records. Okay, uh, I was doing like A and R for them, and so it was around I want to say two thousand two, two thousand three. Uh, they just dropped this sub label, which I'm sure you probably tangentially remember, the uh, Abacus Recordings imprint. Yep. 
So they were like, hey, Ray, so you get to do that. I just show up to work one day and it was like, oh, Jesus. So anyways, the I become aware of your site just by obviously, you know, being an active participant in music and seeing like where people were finding out their information. And it was one of those things where it's like when I first and obviously the site has changed tremendously <laughs> since 2002, 2003. <laughs> it impressed me to see that it was obviously like a singular vision. Like you always made yourself as, you know, as accessible as you possibly could, especially in those early days. And even so now, it was very rare to like, see that from a website where it's like, oh, hey, there's this one person that's kind of pushing this forward. I, I, I presume that was the intention kind of from the get-go where it's like... <sighs> Well, I mean, the way that I kind of tell the story about the whole thing is that back when I first started the website and I was really just kind of talking about Blink-182 and MXPX and some of those other bands like Slick Shoes, the Ataris, things like that, um, it never really occurred to me that that's what I was doing. It was just I wanted to talk about music and I didn't have another place to do it. Um, given a different time and a different place, like if I was 15 years old right now, you know, there's Tumblr, there's Facebook, uh, there's Twitter, there's a variety of other places I might have turned to. But at the time that didn't exist. Like, And I wanted to talk about music. None of my friends really liked talking about music. Uh, in high school, I couldn't go to like a group of like people and be like, dude, I checked out this new band. They're amazing. So with the internet, I could. And that was kind of what happened. Like I started with that and then it just kind of built and built and built. And uh, I liked the idea of being able to put stuff out there and be able to like talk about something. And if I heard about a new band and I was really passionate about a new band, I wanted to talk about it. And it just kind of snowballed from, from there. I think that's, like I said, that's what kind of, I guess, grabbed me for lack of a better term, where it's like, okay, this is, this is different than sort of just simply a news aggregator. There are sites that do that and there's obviously a need for that, but when you're able to inject personality behind it, it was like, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, the voice of the site and the voice of our community is always something that's been important to me, you know, and that's something that I definitely encourage in all of our staff as well, is not to just be a regurgitator of press releases, that it's okay to have opinions, it's okay to express those opinions, and it's okay to have a personality. And I think that that gives, you know, a voice to a website, uh, that that's important and people want to come back to that and you can kind of get the vanilla news a variety of different places but you can't get the community and you can't get that personality many other places yeah um so i'm gonna i'm gonna back it up born and raised i don't know where you were born and or raised <laughs> I, I was born in denver colorado okay um but was only there for about three years and then my family my dad was from colorado my mother was from portland oregon and that's where she spent most of her life. Uh, and so when I was about three, they moved back to Portland. My dad got a new job, and my mom wanted to be closer to her family. And so I spent pretty much my entire life up till 18 here in Oregon um, in a little tiny small suburb called Twalton. Uh, then at 18, I went to school in Southern California at the University of Redlands because I wanted to get the fuck out of right. <laughs> out of, out of Orla, Portland and Southern California. Right. Uh, so, and then I was there for four years and then spent another year living down there. And then once I realized that was super expensive, I kind of decided that I wanted to be back where I grew up. So I moved back to Portland at that time. So that's where I'm at now. 
Got it, got it. And so, what was your uh, what was your family structure like? Did you have uh, brothers and sisters? And what were your what were your what were your parents doing at the time for a living as you were growing up? <laughs> yeah, my dad's job is actually a little bit interesting. He's a nuts and bolts salesman, so he sells fasteners. Oh, um, amazing! So it's like yeah, like completely opposite of basically anything that I've <laughs> right. I've done. Yeah, so he sells. Uh, he's the general manager for a nuts and bolts company here in Portland, where he, you know, just sells. You know, for big projects, if there's going to be construction and a new building's going up, odds are he's the one that like helped put together the package to sell those like nuts and bolts. Um, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, mm-hmm. and she raised me and my sister, who's five years younger than me. Um, basically, from I want to say when I was like five or six is when she quit her. Job job and raised us got it what was she what was she doing prior to that she was oh man i was young yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) she was i believe working she was working in like an an, an engineering or accounting firm or something downtown helping like run the office um and just recently she actually now is basically running the town that I grew up in. <laughs> she's not the mayor, but she's like the, I don't know what the exact words are, like assistant to the like mayor of the town. So she does all, she basically runs uh, Durham where I grew up. <laughs> oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because I get in the way that you were describing your father's job, I totally get this image of a, a dude with a briefcase just like opening his briefcase and having a bunch of nuts and bolts to choose from like i just it's such a it's such an awesome picture that it's like you know that is a you know a throwback to that generation of that's what people did for work <laughs> yeah uh he got into that because he loved cars and i believe like auto parts mm-hmm. was kind of what it began with and then somehow the transition happened in nuts and bolts and he's been doing that 30 40 years now so yeah that's that's amazing i love i love to hear when people obviously enter a profession and you know because obviously like you look i imagine we're around the same age i'm 32 years old and like the the idea of you know people under 35 like you know they switch jobs like seven times by the time they're 35 and yeah it's, it's cool to hear people that it's just like no this is my profession this is what i have done so you spent when i say your formative years i mean like the like once you started to go to junior high and high school and that was all like you said in durham yeah durham uh it's a subsidiary of like portland so it's kind of like portland's the big city in mm-hmm. oregon yeah. and then Tualatin, tigard durham uh, are kind of little tiny little places right outside, uh, but nobody ever really has heard of Durham because I'm pretty sure you can drive through it in about 30 seconds. It's <laughs> it's like two neighborhoods that okay. kind of broke off from the Tualatin Tigard area, and we're like, no, 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 we're our own city, and are, <laughs> are kind of just like two neighborhoods. Wow. So what's what's the actual population of Durham? Oh, honestly, I do not know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just, I mean, I presume like from the way that you're describing it, it's like, it's, it's total suburban living. The population of Durham in Oregon is 1,378. <laughs> I could see 30 seconds driving through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's literally two neighborhoods. Like there are two neighborhoods and then like a few little office buildings and it's right in the middle of Tigard, which is much bigger and Twalton, which is much bigger. Um, and like, we don't even have our like own police force or like uh fire or anything like that. That's all 
bought out through like Twalton, I think Twalton services it or whatever. So it's, that's why I always say when people ask like, where are you from? I have to say like Twalton or Tiger because I say Durham and people are like, North Carolina, <laughs> yeah, North, like, Carolina, North, yeah. North Carolina, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you're in Durham and you're, you start to go to, uh, you know, junior high and high school. How was that for you? Like, you know, high school, because that's typically when independent music starts to kind of come in the picture. How did that get introduced to you? Okay, uh, through middle school, which uh, middle school sucked. Middle school is like the worst period for anybody's life ever. And anybody that says differently, like I'm just blown away. Like I'll have, I'll meet a few people like, oh, I loved middle school. I'm like, man, middle school was the worst. Like I cannot think of a more depressing like three years of my life than middle school. Uh, so like middle school was, was good, but it was towards the end of middle school. I want to say like eighth grade where I was listening to stuff like Pantera and Metallica because that's what my friends listened to. Like, you know, they'd be like, Ooh, you gotta check out this band. And that was what was on the radio. And I had no idea that any other world of music existed. Like I like Nirvana silver chair stuff like that through middle school just because that's what my friends were listening to and i thought it was cool to like what my friends liked um and then towards the end of eighth grade a friend of mine just by happenstance left his cd collection over at my house and i had nothing to do on some saturday night and i was like whatever i'm gonna go through and like listen to everything that's in this cd binder mm-hmm. man cd binders that really 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 uh dates us yeah yeah. the the, the the relic yeah yeah the idea of walking around with those like big black binders full of cds oh whatever anyway so he left that over my place and i started looking through cds and that was when i found blink 182's dude ranch and that was like my first introduction to like pop punk punk something not like metallica or whatever was being played on the radio at the time yeah Um, and that was like the first time that i heard anything like that and that just blew my mind like holy shit what is this like this sounds like kids talking about stuff that i'm going through and like (laughs) life and girls and just relationships and angst and you know you're you're a little teenager and all angsty and that just spoke to me on a level that music never had before and that kind of opened up the world to trying to find more of that and like chasing that chasing that dragon of i need another band that hits me like that oh my god what else is out there and so that was kind of my introduction into music and into like trying to find new bands yeah yeah so i I presume before that like you're are your parents musically inclined at all i i grew up like my dad loved stuff like cat stevens the beatles um elvis presley things like that was really into all of the like early um like pop folksy bob dylan things like that um so he'd always be listening to that like on sundays like i remember sunday mornings like waking up he'd usually be making like eggs and bacon and something like that in the kitchen and then have like an old vinyl on of like the beatles or the beach boys um simon and garfunkel things like that so that was kind of like my introduction in that sense. But at the time, like now I've grown to love all of that. But at the time it's like, that's your parents' music. So oh, you're just kind of, the worst. yeah, you're like, whatever. You're like, I don't like that. You know, you know, turn your nose up to it. And my mom was, oh, she was a very good pianist and she was more inclined to like the classical stuff. So I, so I kind of got both sides of my dad with like the pop sensibilities and melody. And then my mom with the more classical uh, inclination. And she'd give me like, tapes and stuff of like Beethoven and Bach and Stravinsky and things like that to listen to when I was younger. Which, which I'm sure at the time, I mean, your mind, like as a young child, you can't wrap your head around that. 
<laughs> oh no, not at all. She's like, oh yeah, it's music. It's there. It exists. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had no real idea what what any of that meant. I know that I do find that interesting. That that idea that you have to be of a certain age in order to uh, understand certain pieces of music, like. Uh, a random extreme examples like i remember listening to uh neurosis when i was like 15 years old and i was like dude i don't understand this this is scary as shit but then listening to it when you're 18 i'm like oh i get it but it's like three years makes all the difference (laughs) just those you have to hit those perfect times in your life yeah it happens with a lot of different bands i mean even bands that we're talking about now um it, it where it comes at a certain time in your life i mean i've even found that certain things like uh the weather can can dictate whether or not I like a band or if it works right now, the time of the year, where you're at personally. Like there's so many different things that play into that. I mean, we have a giant circle of influence and how that impacts all of our decisions, including our like musical opinions. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's just a, it's like and then because of that, you're just like, how am I like, how can I still be like, you know, yourself? And I, I mean, I would completely agree with you. Like Blink-182 still, I mean, you know, I still have Blink Cheshire Cat on tape. Like I could sell that on e- <laughs> I could sell that on eBay, but I'm never going to do that. The fact that we can be, you know, in our early 30s, but still admitting the fact that we like this band because it was important. <laughs> like so many people... You know, I think as they grow up, they kind of shy away from that idea because it's like they're supposed to have left those, you know, those those juvenile bands back in that, you know, in that era of their life. And I just that that definitely irks me. Yeah, this is I mean, there's so many memories tied to all of those things that there's some music that I'll listen to every once in a while that I used to listen to back in the day. I'm like, oh, this just doesn't hold up that well. But I'm really like I'm not kind of person that's going to be that's ever going to say like oh i wish i didn't listen to it or like deny that i ever did it's like no i listen i listened to messed at one point and right. I, I, I i tried to listen to messed a few few months ago and i was like oh i just i can't get through this and but then there's other stuff like blink 182 mxpx slick shoes uh you know the ataris sick of change like bands like that rufio even like yeah. that i can i can still listen to and i i still enjoy and it brings back so many different memories and so many like times with friends hanging out and everything that's tied to that like the good and the bad and you know it, it, i wouldn't even call any of that like guilty pleasure music that is full-on music that i enjoy and like to listen to and unashamedly admit to <laughs> and i think that's the way most people should be but you know some people just they feel they feel afraid to do that because of you know their age or like you said set of circumstances but what was what was so traumatic about junior high that makes you <laughs> speak so <sighs> negatively about that experience well like i mean i'm not particularly i mean i don't know how tall i am now like what's 5 11 5 10 something like that mm-hmm. but i was very small like at the time like i was definitely a, a little kid um very scrawny and had like the worst teeth ever like mm-hmm. just bad like needed braces really badly but not all my teeth had like fallen out and were ready for braces so it was just i mean middle school is that time where everybody gets picked on and if you're not getting picked on like that moment that you're not getting picked on you're trying to like push the aura of the clicks like on other people so that so that you don't get picked on because it's just like it doesn't matter who you are or what's going on it just feels like everybody's there with knives yeah yeah. so it's just that it's just that whole like idea of like every day you're going to school and you're like oh i 
someone's going to pick on me today. Like, well, what's going to happen? And everybody's, you know, bigger and trying to fit in on their. So I, I, I never have held anything against anybody because everybody's at the same stage of like, how do I not get picked on? Well, maybe if I'm like the bigger person that makes fun of that kid over there, that the scrawny little guy, then everyone's going to laugh at him and not me. So I get it. Like, I get the dynamics right. of, of middle school. But at the same time, like, that's a, that's, that shit's hard. I mean, that stuff sucks. Like, yeah. No, that's. <laughs> that's no, I definitely look back on on my you know junior high experience in particular seventh grade, and I think that's the first time, kind of like you were mentioning, that's the first time that anyone has pointed out to me that something is quote unquote wrong with me because like I, I I would not classify myself as uh, fat or large, but I I have a, a belly that exists. I'm not you know washboard <laughs> abs, especially in seventh grade, and to have a person point that out to me and be like, oh, what's what's wrong? What's what's wrong with that? But yeah, like just because. You have all these eyes on you. They're all looking for a piece of that turf, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so as you started to go into high school and like, you know, did you uh, did you care about your studies? Like, did you, uh, quote unquote, apply yourself as a student? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I mean, I cared. I cared mostly because my parents cared in the sense that like, I mean, my mom was valedictorian of her high school. My dad was like third in his class. My mom went off to Oberlin, a very prestigious university um, and all of that. So like they cared like that was kind of how they defined whether or not I was doing well. It was by what my grades were. Um, But at the same time, I definitely did not apply myself. It was more of like, what could I get by doing to not get in trouble, A, from the school and B, from my parents? And if I, I figured out pretty quickly, like if I got a B, like just Bs, like straight through, my parents would pretty much leave me alone. Like they, they'd give me that look like, okay, like you could have probably gotten an A in this class if you would have actually done your homework and stuff like that. But if I was like getting good grades on the test and enough to just like sit there with a B average – then they kind of leave me to my own devices. Um, and so like the goal through high school was pretty much like, oh, right, what, what is the least amount of work <laughs> I have to do in the scholastic aspect so I can do what the fuck I want on the other side. And that was kind of where the whole technology thing took place. That's where like my love for computers and technology and web design and things like that all took hold. But that was all on the side. Like that's like I'm sitting in class paying just enough attention to do my biology homework while sketching out like ideas for a website in on the margins of my notebook. And so that was that was the the dance that I played throughout high school. Yeah, yeah. You hit on two important points that I always love when people address when for one, the idea that uh, you know people that uh, you know get into trouble in high school and are just you know all around ruffians or whatever, just just put in like you said, find that effort that you can put in to get whatever grades that your parents will be accepted with, and your life is exponentially easier because of it. <laughs> and it's like it's, it seems like such a simple equation, but so many people make their lives so much harder because of that. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. And you know, you know, and there's been some kids that I've mentored over over the last few years that kind of have that same thing through high school of being like, I just don't like it. I don't want to go through the classes and everything. And you know, a lot of my advice usually comes from the idea of like, yeah, I get it. Like it sucks, but it does get better. And if you just play the game, like you don't even have to buy in completely. You don't have to do the suck up with the teachers and go to the office hours and, you know, do extra reading and everything. You don't have to put in that much more effort to really just get by and get through it. And it's it's a wait out the clock situation if if you have an idea of what you want to do afterwards. And so you kind of you kind of have to put in your time and try to make the most out of it that you can 
But it doesn't have to be prison. And the second point in regards to, you know, obviously what, like you said, once you started to develop a love for technology and you started to use those passions to be able to do something, you know, quote unquote, extracurricular that fed into your passion. Like the idea that you have to wait, like you said, this prison sentence of getting out of high school to start your life is such a like that's such an archaic way of thinking. And it's like you just want to encourage kids like you can start your shit now. Like, do it now. Exactly. You know, as you started to dive into that, the technology world, and like, did you immediately see the connection as far as like, man, I can marry my love of technology with this, you know, burgeoning love for music that I have? It wasn't necessarily like immediate. Um, it it kind of began with the idea that I loved computers. Like I loved doing anything that had to do with computers. And this is all like right at the very beginning stages of the internet in general. I mean, at the time, didn't really have any idea of what the internet could even be or become or even exist. Like, I mean, it was like Yahoo with like a directory of links, where it's like you alphabetical links of things on the internet that you click through. Like it didn't even have like search and the idea (laughs) of blogs, the idea of networks, like none of that was really even in my realm of understanding at the time. Like, uh, being able to like chat with people online, like blew my mind the first time it happened. (laughs) Uh, so, but at that time, like it was more of, I enjoyed web design from, uh, I started helping build the school's website, like the actual like high school's website and everything that goes into that, like started working with them to do that. And I really enjoyed all everything that went into that. And then when I started wanting to like kind of hone those school skills and at some point maybe I had the idea of like, Oh, maybe I could be like a web designer. Maybe that's a job someday. Um, so I started like trying to hone those skills by like building stuff. And the best way to do that was like build my own kind of website. And so like at the time it was like, well, what do I like? Like, I'm just going to start playing around and put something together. And that was kind of what then married those two together. Not as never with any intention of it being like, this is going to be my career for the next 15 years. Like oh, I had yeah. no, no like idea that that would ever become anything that it did. You can't wrap your head around that in high school is when you start to go to shows and everything like that as well. Yeah, probably. I, I want to say either freshman year or eighth grade year was my first show. And I'm pretty sure that the first like actual like indie punk show, actually I know for a fact it was MXPX, the Ataris and like a band called like shorthanded or something like that. And uh, it blew my mind. Like that was one of those things where I had no idea that that was even happening. I remember showing up with like khaki shorts on and like a polo shirt or something and then just seeing kids with like tattoos and, you know, piercings and just like that whole punk aesthetic and just being like, A, I don't fit in. B, nobody here cares. And I don't know if that still exists and to some degrees from the shows that I've been to, it doesn't. But just nobody nobody gave a shit what anybody looked like or what they were doing. Everybody was there just to fucking sweat, jump up and down to the music. People were falling down in the pit and getting picked back up. And it was just a huge wave of kids just going nuts for music. And that was just one of those experiences that I'll never forget. Sure, sure. I mean, usually the the sort of common path for kids, you know, once they start to dive into this sort of music is that, uh, hey, I want to play in a band. And you obviously, you know, you've never you've never done that from a, uh, (laughs) you know, a playing shows perspective. And, you know, you've mentioned that you've obviously created music on your own. But was that ever part of your not even planned, but just like, oh, that would be cool. But the opportunities were just never afforded to you. It was one of those things that like, I always thought possibly would be cool. But at the same time, like I always knew that that was not my skill set. Like I always knew 
in myself of like, hey, what am I possibly good at in this world? That the idea of like creating music was not how my brain worked. Like that, that was just never a something that I could sit down and be like, okay, this is this is how a melody goes and chord progressions, and I can play this song and let me like tap this out over here. That was just not, and and there was never the passion to do that. When I when I think about like creating a website or creating things online and all of that. It's something that like I never thought like I I chose to do. It was like I had to do that. That was what I knew I sh- I should be doing. And when it comes to like creating music or being in a band, like that was never part of it. Like that, I never felt compelled to any of that. You can be creative and obviously still quote unquote support the scene, but you're not you know playing in a band. You have, obviously it's like photographers, designers. You know, I, there's so many components to where you are being you know, you are playing an important role to whatever scene it is that you're a part of, but you're not getting up there creating music. It's like, you're still creating, but just on a different medium. Yeah. And I've always considered myself more of like an appreciator of music and the arts and stuff like that in general as well. Um, but I know like, I'm not going to sit down and crank out a masterpiece like that. Just, that's not, that's not where, where my skills lie. But at the same time, like, you know, a band member is probably not going to sit down and write 300,000 lines of code to create, you know, an online social network type yeah. of thing. So, not so like everybody, ha- yeah, everybody has different skill sets and it's, it, everybody has different passions and different callings in life. And, you know, and when they do marry together in some degree, like that, that's when cool stuff happens. No, for sure. And it's because the obvious joke is that it's like, oh yeah, you're a journalist, Jason. So that means you're a failed musician. It's like, <laughs> it's like, that's not always the case. It's like, yeah, of course you could point to a few and be like, yeah, that's, there's reality behind that joke. But then, you know, a majority of people, it's like, no, I just never, you know, never, never happened. I wanted to create this way. Yeah. The story of uh, AP.net has obviously been well documented, but when, you know, yourself, when did you notice it starting to become, uh, you know, kind of a thing, so to speak where it's just like you felt like there was some you know whether it was traction whether it's just a small victory that'll lead me into another question in regards to like you know how that kind of sat with your uh family once you started to you know figure out that this was uh something that you wanted to pursue and i mean like the first time when i first started doing stuff kind of as a blink fan site and it kind of had its own weird little feedback loop because it would be like i'd post something and then people would im me because my im name was on the the website and we talk about stuff or I then started putting like forums and comments and stuff on. And so once I started seeing people actually interacting with what I had quote unquote created and seeing people actually like talk about it or ask for more, you know, people emailing me and being like, Hey, have you heard anything else about the new blink One Eighty Two album yet? Like, and so I, I like, I was putting stuff out into the world and people were actually responding and sending stuff back in. And that was the first time I realized like, whoa, people are actually like reading some of this and <laughs> right. like finding that this isn't just like scribblings on a wall somewhere. And so that was the first time that like I kind of started to see that kind of response. And then as it like continued to get popular, I mean, Blink started blowing up and then we started talking about other bands and then other bands we started talking about. And, you know, to flash back a little bit, when I first took it away from being like, let's just talk about Blink-182 and MXPX was because I was listening to all those other bands at the same time that nobody else was talking about. And everybody loved Blink. Like Blink was huge at that point, selling millions of records on MTV all the time. But nobody was talking about all these other littler bands and nobody knew about them and I was like, man, if people like Blink One Eighty Two, 
they're going to love slick shoes, you know, like, are they going to love newfound glory before newfound glory is newfound glory. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted, I wanted to let people know about all of that stuff. And then when those bands started getting popular and more people started talking about them or like we do an interview with the band and they just be like, Hey, thanks for talking about us. Like kids come up with the show all the time and tell us that they heard about us through your website. And that was kind of when I started seeing more of what our community could be, I guess. By this time, you've graduated high school. And like, would you say, I guess, the most formative years of uh, AP as far as like kind of how we know, when I say AP, I mean AP.net. I know I need to make the differentiation (laughs) (laughs) because you you were in college when it started to really kind of become the community that it is, like that people recognize the site now. And I think that that's about the the right time period, like 18 to 19 freshman year of college is kind of when I changed it over to more of a community talking about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, that was kind of when that transition occurred. What were you studying in college? I started with computer science. Like the idea was to go for computer science and learn programming and all of that. But about like, I don't know, the first semester in, I realized that I didn't really care about like C++ or Visual Basic or like any of the stuff that the computer science degree was going to take me to. Uh, I cared about like web programming and things like that. And the school I went to didn't really do any of that. Uh, so I ended up changing my major to business administration and then teaching myself like PHP and SQL and all that stuff on the side. So that was kind of like, let's learn some business stuff that maybe I can use in the future. And then I'll learn the programming design stuff uh, myself. Right, right. As your site was developing and like it started to become something that you're like, well, I can, I'm devoting a lot of time to this. Um, how did it sit with your parents being you know, not affiliated with this community at all, not understanding you know, I'm sure they're probably technologically aware, but not technologically savvy like yourself. You had two different things to explain to them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest hiccup that came was junior year, like my second semester of my junior year, uh, where the website really started blowing up. Like it really got to the point where I was spending, you know, I was going to class and then running home so I could do stuff on the website. I mean, this is pre like laptops that actually classroom, like, or iPads or anything like that. I mean, my laptop at the time probably weighed 30 pounds. So like I wasn't able to do stuff in class. I mean, this is all before iPhones as well. So I was like running back to the dorm room to try to like get stuff up on the website, get content up, run it, uh, staying up till like three in the morning to do things like that. And I realized like it was such just a giant amount of time that was going into it where I I went to my parents and I was basically like, yeah, so I'm thinking I'm going to take a semester off of school. My dad freaked out basically Mm -hmm. saying like, yeah, there's no way in hell you're going back to school after that. Like you're dropping out. Like that's what you're doing. My mom was more supportive of the idea of like, okay, like we will support this but you're going back to school and getting your degree like not like there is no ifs ands or buts about it like but you're going back so i took that semester off and uh lived in my parents basement for those few months and just did the website full time and that was the first time where i realized like i could do this as a job Mm -hmm. and i think that at that point my parents also started to see the idea of oh yeah like it is possible to do this and make money. This could be a career. And uh, then I went back, finished my last year of school, crammed a year and a half into one year of, sco- of schooling and graduated and then immediately like turned to this as the- a career, as yeah. a job. Like this was then. And that was kind of when they finally were like, okay, I, I think he 
possibly might be onto something here. Was that insanely difficult for you to, because, you know, the common, like you were saying, your parents were like, oh, there's no way you're going to go back, or your dad specifically. Mm-hmm. Was that was that so hard to pivot back into school to be like, all right, dude, can't wait to do this again? It wasn't necessarily difficult because, like, I mean, I figured out the way to make it all work. Um, and it just meant that I didn't do a lot of the same things that other college kids were doing. Um, so on Thursday and Friday night, when everybody's going out partying constantly, uh, you know, I was in working on the website and it, yeah. it just, it just became like part of my life and like my roommates and everybody knew that that's what was going on. And I just had to figure out the way to get my schoolwork done in some way that I could graduate and then use every other waking moment on the website. Yeah. <laughs> and, and once I kind of figured that out and tried to, f- and figured out the best way for like time management and productivity uh, and yeah, at times like school suffered a little bit and I maybe was not as prepared as I should have been for like some finals, but it, it all kind of worked out its way in the end. Right, right, right. It's interesting. And just talking to you, like in hearing the two sides of kind of your personality in regards to the fact that, you know, there's the common perception of a code monkey, a person who is obviously like coding and building things like that in and of itself is obviously a solitary, uh, a solitary thing. But then obviously you were using that solitary thing to obviously create something um, in which you were desiring that connection to you obviously speak about music. And so it's interesting, like those two, two completely different worlds of like pulling themselves together and like obviously forcing you to be, you know, social and become adjusted as, as a human being <laughs> and not just be this, you know, completely stunted individual, you know, did one come more naturally than the others? Like, did you find yourself having to kind of be like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get out and socialize or anything like that? Like out and socialize like on the internet or out and socialize like in person with other people? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, because obviously I think it came second nature with you to, uh, you know, socialize with people online. But yeah, to kind of, you know, in real life, so to speak. Yeah, in real life, like, I guess when it comes to that, like, I've always considered uh, a core group of people, like my really close friends. Uh, As I said, I grew up in a town with two neighborhoods, and my closest, like, five friends lived a block away from me and lived in that other neighborhood. And I've known them since I was probably in kindergarten, and one of my close friends now lives, like, three blocks away from me downtown. Um, Same guy. And some of the other ones have scattered out throughout the country and stuff, but we still keep in relatively close contact. So I've always considered like a core group of like five people, roughly uh, my closest friends, as well as my sister. And so with that, like that was the group that I kind of grew up with and would go out and do stuff with. And I've never had any problem like going out and like meeting people or enjoying socializing and enjoying talking to people and having having that kind of interaction. I just separate the two because I also enjoy being alone. Like, I mean, I live by myself now and have uh, like a separate office. I get up in the morning and there are some days where I will walk in and start working at nine o'clock in the morning and not go to bed till four in the morning. And the only interaction I've had with other people is online. I, I enjoy that as well. And, you know, after three or four days, it's like, okay, I need to get the fuck out of the house. Yeah, but, yeah. Right. <laughs> but you know, there is a part of me that likes that quiet or that time just alone to listen to music and just to kind of be lost in my own, my own thoughts. Like I, it, 
that's relaxing to me. And I don't know if that's from a uh, childhood environment growing up with like a sister and, you know, you know, pets and parents and everything. And, you know, that was kind of my escape to get downstairs, put on headphones and stare at a computer screen. And that was kind of where I could like be in my own little world with just with just whatever I'm working on at that moment. And and there is some comfort as well in that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I can I can see where you're coming from. Obviously, you know, kind of your your sister, because usually the um, the older sibling obviously plays some influence in regards to like, oh, here's some records you need to check out. Like, what is your sister into, and like, has she followed in any uh, you know things that you've presented to her? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my sister's brilliant. My sister is one of the smartest people I know in the world. She's hilarious. And if you follow her on Twitter or even on Facebook or whatever, she's absolutely one of the funniest, most witty people I know. I mean, she recently just wrote on like her blog. She was talking about how she was in- introduced to music through the fact that I would play it way too loud in the basement and she'd hear it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like that was that was kind of her introduction to all of that was me listening to music and she to hear it overhear stuff and then come in and ask what i was listening to and then borrow the cds and make herself little mixed mixed cds and things like that and uh now when she has obviously grown up she has her own tastes and different things but she still comes to me and like asks for recommendations or you know we'll, we'll come over and listen to new albums with me and stuff like that and so we definitely share that same like taste when it comes to a good majority of the stuff that I like, she likes, and vice versa. Nice, nice. Something I also find interesting, especially just because, like you said, once you started to be able to focus on, you know, AP.net as your, you know, career, and once you made that sort of mental transition, like, all right, school's done, here we go. Like, when the popularity for the site was, you know, kind of at its fever pitch, where it's like, it's new, this thing, like, everybody, like, let's talk about it. I'm sure there was some pretty uh, interesting slash funny slash weird opportunities that came your direction. Like, you know, whether it was like doing a record label, whether it was doing like some sort of tangential thing to music. Um, what were some of those things that came across that, uh, you know, either you ended up pursuing or were just kind of like, Oh wow, there's no way that I would ever do this. Uh, not, not because it's just, uh, uh, dumb, but just because like, Oh, this is not me. This would take the focus off what I I'm passionate about. Yeah. Quite a few different things. I mean, when I look back over the course of everything, one of my favorite things about, the website is, I mean, for all the times that there have been mistakes, we've definitely stayed focused to what we are. Um, and I mean, it, it went everywhere from, you know, when we were talking about bands that were blowing up and stuff. I, I mean, I had Atlantic Records call me and offer me a, a job, like flat out, just be like, quit the website and come do A&R for us. Like, just... <laughs> just come do it. And I didn't want to do that. Like that was not what I was interested in. And I didn't want to just sit around and be involved in an industry that I did not think was going to exist (laughs) for for much, for much longer, you know? And it was like, wait, you guys are so far behind in everything that music is like, you're not going to exist in like four years. This is like, should be the opposite way. Um, and so we had like that. We had definitely like a bunch of other labels come to us and ask about like imprint labels, merch. Um, I've had bands want me to be involved in like managing them or, uh, you know, putting other stuff together when it comes to licensing records, uh, swag and things like that. Um, and, you know, we've said no a lot when it comes to those kind of things because for me, it was always like, I'm, I'm pretty much a once at the time was a one shop little person doing all of this work and trying to do everything. And I just did not have time to do any of that. Like I, I could not manage a band and do what I do on the website at the same time. It just, there's not enough time in the day. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to divide my 
focus in that way. I didn't want to try to do three different things okay when I thought I could do one thing really well. And that was kind of how I've looked at things every time something like that comes up. It's like, okay, am I going to half-ass two things or can I do one of these pretty damn good? Right. And as, as long as I keep answering it with, I can, I can do one of these pretty damn good, I, I've continued to do that. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, a, that's a very good train of thought because I, I definitely think, especially when you become involved in independent music over, you know, like five to six years, that I think that's kind of the sweet spot where it's like, okay, if you've done this for this long, whether it's like working a label, being a band, like, you know, you're kind of in it for a long time. But I think it's very symptomatic of this scene to like 500 different things. And I mean, I'm the first person to, you know, not be able to throw <laughs> throw any stones at people like that because I'm at 75% capacity of most of the stuff I do just because I spread myself so thin, but it's like, it's so tempting to just keep doing stuff because you're like, man, this is awesome. I, this is fun. Like, but it's cool that you've been so focused on just like, no, I can't divert from the core product that I'm doing because I want to make sure the quality doesn't suffer. You know, something I also find interesting in the way that you, uh, you know, since you've been so open since day one of, you know, AP.net about, you know, yourself, what you're into, your own personal life. Um, And obviously, like, you know, a few years ago, like, was it late 2000s when you went through a divorce yourself? Uh, It was two years ago. 2013 now. Yes. No, it was was last year. Now it's 2012. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Mixing up the dates. But so there, you know, and you obviously shared your thoughts on that and how it was a difficult problem. I mean, you know, no no divorce is easy. No divorce is awesome. (laughs) Like my, my, my parents were divorced when I was about three or four. And it's like, yeah, it's a lot of people go through it. Um, was is there a constant struggle from your own perspective to be able to decipher what you feel like you should share, could share, shouldn't share? I mean, at this point in time, I've been writing in some degree online since I was 15. Like right. there's, and I'm not sure how much of that still exists or how much you could find. And there's so much bullshit and stuff that I mean, my opinions when I'm 15 flat out wrong in so many different ways on different things, not only life, but the shit that you just writing about and you think, you know, um, bullshit. (laughs) And, um, now 15 years later, like I've realized that, you know, I put myself out there in all kinds of ways and I write how I feel now. And if that changes in the future, I'm willing to step back and say, you know what? Like, I felt this when I was 15 or 20, 25. I don't feel that way anymore. Like my opinions changed and this is why, or my feelings on this subject have changed and this is why. And for me, I've, it's, it's always just been kind of an instinct and a gut thing to be like, what am I going to write about and what am I not going to write about? What am I going to say and not say? And my only real qualification with any of that is like, if I'm going to put something out there and I'm going to put like my name on it and sign it, is that it has to be real. Like it has to be true and honest. I'm not going to like bullshit anybody. And you know, going through divorce and going through, you know, a couple of years that was pretty shitty in my life and going through some personal stuff. Like I have no problem saying like, yeah, like, you know, this happened. It's not something that I want to like hide and hide behind. And, you know, like, as you said, marriages don't work. Uh, relationships don't work. And I, it's, I don't consider that necessarily like a failing. Like, it's just that it didn't work. Like, and two people did not work as a couple and and that's fine. So I, I don't, I never had like a qualm with being like, ah, shit, people are going to find out about this. Cause it was like, whatever, like that happens. And I'm 
90% of the population is mature enough to handle that with like dignity and class and the 10% that aren't, I don't really give a fuck about. So for me, it was just like, you know, if I'm going to toss everything that I do on the internet and want people to trust me, like trust the idea when I say something that I mean it, uh, like I have to be real and I have to be honest about that. And I have to let people know not only how I feel about music, but also how I'm feeling like in life. Like, I mean, music is personal and how albums hit me is due to personal things in my life. And it, I think it's really hard to be honest about music and divorce it from <laughs> bad choice of words, but <laughs> <laughs> part, part of the pun and part of the pun and divorce it from, you know, those personal feelings. Like that's just not, not going to work very well. So like, I've had no problem like when I write about music or when I write about personal things, you know, being, being honest. Cause you received a lot of criticism in, you know, I, I don't, I mean, you may know the years better than I do, but it's like, I just noticed like in, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, um, you know, there was a lot of mudslinging towards you, whether it was like people, like you said, that 10% of people that were trying to attack you for whatever reason, like, you know, I, I, I can't cite any one thing because it, obviously it's faded so far in my memory, but I just remember reading so much stuff in regards to just like, Oh, AP.net is like a total, you know, tabloid, you know, they're like the us weekly, you know, of, uh, of the independent music culture. But I think that because the site and yourself have obviously been able to kind of move past all that sort of, you know, junk being thrown at you and you kind of staying true to the core of what the site is that, you know, that's why you can stand here. And like you said, be honest about your experiences and not receive as much criticism as you once did, because they're like, oh, well, I guess this guy's, I guess this guy's here to stay. <laughs> yeah, not only that, but I mean, we still get some of that. I mean, the idea of, and I mean, from a macro level of looking at it, like I get the idea that a band that has gotten, say, good press on the website and they've released like a couple albums and everybody's talking about it and all anybody's saying about it is great things. Like, holy shit, this album's so good. This band's the next big thing. They're going to be giant. But not many bands do that forever. And not many bands are going to not have an album that maybe is not so great. And so, I mean, over the years, we've had those kind of situations where we really like a band or the community as, it's, as a whole really gets behind a band. And then they release an album that maybe we think is kind of a clunker. And they're expecting the same praise and like fawning reviews just because A – they have some sort of relationship with us or because it happened in the past. And again, like for me, it's, it's really about being honest. And if, if my favorite band in the world releases an album that I don't think is very good, I'm going to say, I don't think it's very good. And then I'm disappointed about it. And if that leads that band to then thinking that we're horrible people, I guess so be it. Uh, I hope that at some point in their lives, they look back and say that that's not what, you know, we're not making personal judgments on you. We just didn't like that album. Uh, so we, we we still get criticism in a lot of ways for that. Plus, I mean, we post stupid shit on on the front page sometimes because we like stupid shit. You know, like sometimes something cracks us up or there's something about like, I don't know, some band that we just don't understand why they need to sell three hundred dollar uh, <laughs> pre-order packages with like fake punk stuff. You know, I don't know. Yeah, so there's, yeah. there's shit like that. And like and we have personalities and not everybody's going to agree with that all the time and that's fine if people disagree so be it like you know that 
at this point, I don't think there's anything anybody's going to be able to say about me personally or about us as a entity. If we're going to look at absolute punk as an entity, um, that I haven't heard before and my skin's thick enough that it's probably not going to affect me much to begin with. Kind of hitting on that. Like, uh, I guess when was the first thing that, you know, popped up as in regards to, you know, drama, mudslinging, whatever, like, when was the first thing that popped up that like, you know, that affected you? Cause I mean, as much as like, we'd all like to say we have thick skin, it's like, once you do, you know, I mean, I, I distinctly remember, uh, cause I played bands for, you know, a good seven or eight years and reading some reviews and being kind of like, Oh fuck that guy. Like that's my, immediate re- <laughs> that's my immediate response. But then you, you know, you calm down, but you yourself, do you, you know, do you remember when you like that first thing started to, you know, I guess affect you? Oh, there's been a few things. I mean, I'd have to think a little bit to get the, yeah, yeah I know I'm putting all you on the spot. Them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know like when we did an interview with Midtown way back in the day, and that was like one of the first big interviews that we did. And it was right after they left drive through records to go to MCA records. And they just trashed drive through records, like just destroyed them. And we, posted the interview and I remember getting emails from the owners of Drive Through Records who were people that I'd had relationships with in the past just destroying me, just calling me horrible names as a like 18, 19 year old kid at the time who wasn't making any money from this. I'm just doing this thing out of my dorm room and had no idea if it was going to become a career or not and possibly wanted someday like to maybe even work for one of these record labels or something like that. Like I had no idea what I was doing with the rest of my life at that point. And at that point, like some of that stuff hurt. Like some of that was just like, man, all I asked some questions and they answered them and I typed them up and put them online. Like I'm, I'm not a horrible person for doing that. (laughs) Like what the hell? And, um, so there's been things like that, or there's been other times, you know, I've, I've read stuff that at times is just like, oh, hey, like you're taking this way too personally, therefore attacking me personally about it. And it bothered me more 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe even, but it, it really, most of it just kind of skims off me at this point, just because I've, I've read and seen my face photoshopped on anything imaginable. And I've, you know, like, it's it's like after you, after you've crossed that, you know, after that Rubicon's been crossed and you've seen your face on gay porn, there's not a whole lot that's probably going to like turn your stomach anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And and I think ultimately a lot of that comes too with the fact that you're able to kind of, you're able to distance yourself emotionally just because of, you know, age and you obviously have a clearer perspective about, you know, the fact that you're writing about music and it is emotional, but it's like, dude, it's just music. Like just calm yeah. down for a second. And at the end of the day, like, you know, if one of my closest friends came to me and said one of those things, that would hurt. Like if one of if somebody that knows me as a person, like knocked on my door and was just like, you know what? Like you're doing some things I don't agree with. Here's why X, Y, and Z, we would have a heart to talk and that would like really affect me. But if a random avatar online, you know, is t- creates a fake account and is tweeting at me homophobic slurs that doesn't that doesn't really mean that much to me like and if you can't take the t- and if you can't take the time to actually try to like form a cohesive argument and like talk to me about something like i just don't think your opinions worth listening to yeah yeah no, I, that's it's a very healthy way of looking at it <laughs> uh and sort of sort of to wrap things up the um you know the idea of like where you're going in the future as far as like what the site will you know because not only yourself but obviously your staff continues to you know do things in order to make uh, the content that you're producing you know relevant interesting in the next, um, and obviously you see the landscape changing, not only, you know, within the, you know, old media and like obviously newspapers and all that type of stuff to, you know, the way that 
old media is now utilizing, you know, the, uh, you know, different sites. Like, I mean, I look at, you know, like Grantland, which I know you're familiar with, with mm-hmm. Bill Simmons and, um, you know, what they are doing, like the, the type of work that they are accomplishing within the confines of these huge, you know, media enterprises. And then obviously, you know, from your perspective, where it's like, you are still manning this ship, which is, you know, it's obviously has different owners and different interests, but you're able to still be pretty nimble with, the type of content you're putting out. Does it ever seem daunting where it's just like, dude, we're going to have to continue to reinvent ourselves and like do all this stuff. Uh, or can we just kind of stick to what, what works for us? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's daunting in some degree, but also the entire premise of the website is built on the idea that it's fluid. I mean, it's a community that is based on the idea of what people are talking about on the website rises to the top. And the, the, the users themselves craft so much about what's happening. And so many of our staff members, come from that pool of users and they're the ones writing about the music they're the ones finding about the bands they're the ones submitting news um, they're the ones talking in all the forums and so by default like we are a fluid entity that's always changing you know like 10 years ago there's no way that we'd be talking about Justin Tim- Timberlake uh, in the forums and now he's one of the most like respected artists on the, on the site and you know if we would have stuck to some stringent like we can't talk about hip hop like then uh, you know we wouldn't be the website that we are and now we have great discussions about hip hop you know and Kanye West and you know when the Kendrick Lamar verse hit the other day i mean that that thread itself has like 200 comments already um so stuff like that like i think that we just exist in this world that we can be fluid and change with what the taste of the community itself uh, reflects like we're kind of just a mirror for what our community is, and without the community, I don't think we exist in the same the same realm. And we've we've already made it through like the Facebook Tumblr era, and we still have good traffic. We still have a lot of really core diehard users that come back every single day to talk on the forums and read. Um, and we're looking to relaunch the new version of the website hopefully this year or early next year. And I think that while we might be reinventing what we look like, like what sits at the bottom of what we are, I don't really think that that, that itself is, is going to change in the foreseeable future. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, 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 I really like that, you know, the, the underpinning of everything that happens is all based around, you know, one or two ideas, which ultimately that's what makes things successful for a longer period of time rather than just like, Oh, cool. Like you're relevant for three years. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of, you know, I think that a lot of people thought that that might be what we are, you know, back when like Fall Out Boy was getting big and everything it was like, oh, are you really going to be able to talk about pop punk for the rest of your life? And, you know, I always sat there and was like, you know, that's not ever what the website's been. It's never been like, hey, we're a pop punk website and that's all we ever talk about. It's that we're a music website uh, with a crappy name that, <laughs> and, yeah. and we are uh, we talk about music and the people that grew up using the site, you know, come back every day and want to talk about that music and that, you know, there's relationships that are formed and new groups that come out of it and new users. But, you know, like looking at the the analytics on the website and everything, you can see just how long people spend engaging with the content. You know, it's not like they show up and read like two articles and then disappear. You know, they're actually sitting there like talking with people about music and there's that community aspect that you just don't find many other places. And as long as long as we continue to put out content that people want to talk about, and as long as bands continue to release great music, I feel like we're going to exist in some fashion for, you know, obviously the next couple of years at least. Fingers crossed, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a perfect place to put a pin in it. But um, yeah, right. I really appreciate you uh, yeah, taking the time and wanting to do this. 
So yeah, there is Jason. Uh, go check out his podcast. Go visit absolutepunk.net. And then uh, you'll become more educated in all the stuff that he has going on. And I really enjoyed the conversation we had. I wouldn't say I brought any preconceived notions to who he wa- who he is and who he was. But it was definitely nice to just be able to like kick back and, and chat with him for a while. I know I tell you this almost at the end of every episode. But there's so much rad shit coming up on the show. Subscribe. For those of you that don't subscribe, you're missing out. Because... I post a new show every week. You miss. I don't care if you let like 10 shows build up and then listen to them all in a row, but subscribe because that way you're always getting the latest new show to you when I publish it. Tom Richfield is the editor for this episode and visit propertyofzack.com, visit hundredwordspodcast.com, visit howweare.org. That's all. You guys have a great week and I will talk to you soon. Be safe, everybody. Be safe, everybody.